Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish-tech-news. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the crypto hipster, where I bring you the crypto corner, where I interview founders, co-founders, uh, executives, uh, entrepreneurs, artists, you name it, in crypto and blockchain around the world. Today, um, and this is around the world today, um, my guest comes from Taiwan right now. Um, his name is Joshua Topkin. He is the co-founder and CEO of Supra Oracles. Joshua, welcome. Great to be here, Jamil. It's a, it's an honor to have you join me today. So um, let's kick things off. And and the first question I ask my guests is this: Is what is your background, and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Well, um, my background uh, has been kind of eclectic, actually. Um, back in let's see, 24 years ago, when I was around 12 years old, I was actually at the time living in China. And uh, I did attend an international school there. Uh, nonetheless, I was also kind of in a remote area uh, outside of the main city. So um, I was kind of isolated, actually. I had my brother and sister, great, and we had fun. Of course, we had some neighbors, um, but we also had the internet connection. And I got absolutely obsessed with the internet at a super early age. Actually, I think I started at 11, trying to make websites on a platform called GeoCities at the time. Uh, taking a look, uh, trying to right-click and view the kind of JavaScript and code and HTML, very rudimentary stuff at the time, you know, like I think they're called applets and such, and just obsessive, like, I just want to be able to create my own, like, it wasn't, there wasn't so much you could do there, but I wanted to create some page. Um, it got to the point where, you know, my parents would be yelling at me to come downstairs, come to dinner, and I just didn't want to leave, and, and, and so I naturally had this. Now, um, to fast forward a little bit, I did go to boarding school because I was a little bit naive, kind of a little bit of rebellious. And there they actually did not have internet connection. So I kind of lost touch for, for like four years. Um, but when I got back to high school, uh, several years later, um, I, I kind of rekindled that love for building on the net. Now, I graduated high school thinking actually, and I thought really deeply about this, like what would be the best way to make an impact in the world? And at that time I had already traveled to maybe 29 countries. Um, and I've, I've lived in several at that stage. And I thought economics was actually the answer to make, uh, you know, if you could uh, really change the world through economic policy and such. Um, get to university, uh, full ride to study economics uh, and actually absolutely hated it. <laughs> in, a, in the first year and a half, I was bored to death and um, felt like this is, I just didn't feel like I was fulfilling my life's mission. Um, so, and, and uh, you know, going back to my roots, I, I always love to create uh, on the on the web and such. So uh, one thing that did draw my interest actually is online poker. So I ended up dropping out from school to play poker semi-professionally, and uh, it was it was awesome. I was in New Jersey at the time. Uh, you know that movie Rounders, right? I was pretty much living that lifestyle, both online and going to underground casinos, illegal clubs, and also getting kicked out of casinos because I was under under 21. Um, 
had a great time, but that was a pretty wild time too. Like you have really, really high highs and really low lows in, in that kind of lifestyle. And to balance that out, I kind of went back to my web building entrepreneurial roots and uh, created a uh, service for the online poker community, which is Rakeback, which is like cashback. So uh, poker players play online and we, we have arrangements with these online casinos through an affiliate arrangement where we would give you back part of the fees that you generate. Um, and I did that for, for years and we started growing to become uh, meaningful rateback providers. Um, however, there was something called Black Friday in which online poker became illegal in the United States. At that stage, I also felt like it was time to transition to something else. So my shares with my partner, he went on to continue to build the business internationally and did really well. Um, also, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of funny because when online poker got illegal in the United States, Bitcoin was also just starting to come up. And uh, I kind of just missed that transition. I heard of Bitcoin, but I never got into it. And if I stayed with that project, we would have probably been done very well with that, taking Bitcoin. Long story short, though, um, Bounce Round experimented with many things, you know, uh, from at that period, I was, I was actually pretty pretty into SMS technology. I was like, oh, this is kind of a new format um, before like Twilio got huge. Um, and then I just did a lot of experimentation. So. You know, my background, is it logical for crypto? Um, the answer is yes, only in that um, I was insatiably curious and uh, had this kind of econ background and also self-taught computer scientists, right? I uh, had to learn almost everything on my own because uh, I did, you know, <laughs> forfeit the, the scholarship, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of probably learned really slowly, but I learned in things in such a way that I got a really good fingertip feel for how these things interact and how, you know, like, uh, and that's kind of my story, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I, I I have a follow-up there, but I'm going to ask you to follow up a little bit later because I think it's important, um, really important. But uh, first question I'll ask you is this, is what is Supra Oracles and what makes it great and then sets it apart from there are a bunch of other Oracles out there. So what, what sets you apart makes you guys unique? Sure. So Super Oracles is a, it's, as, as you can tell, it's a Oracle service. Oracles are these mechanisms or nodes, networks where we can bring external data on chain. External data on chain. Now, blockchains are actually closed loop systems. They don't communicate with the outside world. You know, the, the traditional blockchains, right? So, um, yet they're very, very secure. Like the decentralized distributed nature of all these nodes, uh, it's a very secure network. In fact, if it's properly distributed, uh, you can't even as a state level government uh, try to force a double spend is, you know, it's infeasible. Um, now, uh, the thing is, though, blockchains with only blockchain data is kind of limited in scope of what can you can do within a smart contracts. The moment you can bring external data into a blockchain, the use case of smart contracts explodes, right? So many more things you could do. Now, the thing is, um, we go through all the trouble to secure blockchain, right? And uh, however, this Oracle layer, the layer above, is actually not applying the same security principles or guarantees. So this is actually kind of a weaker layer. And in fact, it makes a lot of sense to apply the same security guarantees as the underlying uh, network, right? Um, so what we were actually doing, what makes this really different is we are not just some small clusters of nodes here and there, we're actually a unified network. And we have a unified security protocol. We are bringing layer one principles to the Oracle space. So we're applying layer one consensus protocols to the Oracle space. So we have these extremely strong uh, security guarantees while also being very fast to compute. And we do this through parallel processing. 
so we can get assurance from multiple data sources simultaneously and run cryptographic signature threshold signatures and cryptographic proofs to show without a shadow of doubt that this has been calculated um, uh, transparently and correctly. And uh, what makes us different than others is uh, off the charts, we have a much more security order magnitude, more security, while also being faster. You know, so smart contracts that can react with uh, data guarantees that are, uh, you know, um, highly accurate, but also reacting to the real world events with lower latency, right, faster. Um, that actually gives us, you know, an edge. Um, now you de you define you said you mentioned on your on your website there's a there's an oracle problem right so what is the what is the or oracle problem and how do you solve it sure just like there's a in in a regular blockchain there's this trilemma right you have security versus decentralization versus performance right and kind of similar that applies to the oracle dilemma the in the in oracle space you know, usually similarly, if you have more nodes, it takes longer to compute security and to uh, to, to finalize the results. Um, and if you don't have more nodes, though, then your security is bound by the number of nodes. So you actually want more nodes, right? However, you want to be able to have fast finality and have your performance not be affected by the number of nodes you have. You know, so uh, that's what you want to solve for. You want to solve for uh, data guarantees that are off the charts, like layer one, you know, you will not have a incorrect data entry in the blockchain. And frankly, weird design is to it should never happen. Actually, like that's the kind of level of rigor we're trying to bring to this. Um, and so nearly almost never should act should we ever let bad data into a blockchain. Uh, yet we have to do this in a way that is fast, right? So what we do is uh, we we really rely on parallel compute and cryptographic primitives to prove that this has been computed at the same time. And they've come to the same consensus on what the answer is uh, in parallel. So the time that one set of nodes can do it, the other set of nodes also came to the same conclusion in the same parallel time. You're blockchain agnostic. Right? Yeah, yeah. So um, correct. We are. That's that's what's wonderful about us is we get to play with multiple ecosystems. So we do, and we're planning to uh, bridge our data into all the popular blockchains. So from Ethereum to EVM compatible chains to, you know, Cosmos ecosystem and, you know, uh, even like Solana and, you know, uh, when I say EVM compatible chains, that includes Avalanche, Polygon, et cetera. And, uh, you know, uh, we, perhaps even Tezos. So we have these ongoing conversations. Every integration we decide to make is actually a very strong long-term commitment because we want to maintain that service. And um, so we, uh, we have actually a lot of, layer ones and sending us funds and grants and, and such to get us to build on them. Uh, however, we take it very slowly to make sure that when we do commit, it's basically marriage for life, right? Um, and, and part of that commitment process is to analyze what is the integration look like, right? From a consensus algorithm point of view, finality perspective, communication, meaning like how does the, how do our chains or our, our, our networks communicate with each other on a cryptographic level, are they compatible? Or do we have to speak multiple languages? These are all multiple decisions that we need to be thinking through before we ever make a commitment. That sounds good. Um, so I want to back up a little bit. So I had a I had a follow up from your intro question, right? Um, you were in New Jersey and a poker um, player, and and I have friends that I went to high school with, 
I grew up with that are poker players in New Jersey, and I grew up in New Jersey, right? But now you're now you're in Taiwan, right? So why why um, why are you building from Taiwan? I mean, I think I might know the answer. I might not. Why are you building from Taiwan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so I was in Jersey for a while. Um, it was a hell of an experience, I gotta say. Um, I grew up there. You know, like when I say grew up, I, I like really matured uh, as a human being because it was, it wasn't actually, it was actually, you know, there's a lot of ghetto in Jersey too. You know what I'm saying? Um, and there's a lot. It can be pretty rough, but it's also you know has nice neighborhoods, of course, right? Um, but uh, that actually was from age, let's say, 19 to about. 26. And then, um, and then by then I started working in New York City, uh, right off of Madison Avenue. Um, and I uh, was there for about two years, kind of com commuting, doing the whole commute thing. Uh, that was the first time I actually had quote unquote, a job at a, uh, it was another startup. And I actually learned a ton there, you know, because um, I got to be kind of tutored from other uh, mentors that have actually had multiple large exits before. So I got some good kind of insight there. They opened up an office in San Francisco. Uh, I was the third employee there. So I, I moved to San Francisco from there. And I was in SF for about four years. And that's around the period where I learned about blockchain. Um, long story short, how did I end up in Taiwan? I had actually never been to Taiwan up to this point in my life. Um, however, I got introduced through a, a childhood friend um, who actually uh, spent some time in Jersey and Connecticut, right? But I've known him since elementary school. Um, he knew a mutual friend in the blockchain space that was in Taiwan. He connected me online. He, this gentleman, John, uh, John Jones, my current co-founder, he uh, is American, actually, went, grew up in New York, um, but went to school in Berkeley, uh, and I was in the Bay Area. He flew over for San Francisco Blockchain Week. Uh, we met up for the first time on the back of a napkin at, at, a, at a bar. I pitched him this new like way to secure blockchain using um, randomness and our network architecture, which is quite unique. And, uh, you know, about 45 days later, after we went back home, he was living in Taiwan. His his wife is Taiwanese, and he was growing a family there. Um, uh, about 45 days later, he reached out to me and said, hey, Josh, I think what you're doing is really interesting. I'd like to invest. I'd like to become co-founders. He was already in the blockchain space. He's built up somewhat of a foundation here uh, through events and, and such. He was kind of uh, doing like, a, you know, intending to build an incubator in, in the blockchain space in Taiwan, as well as a marketing kind of events uh, uh, company. And uh, invited me over there and said, hey, look, SF is definitely way too expensive to bootstrap. And I agreed. And I flew out there. I we went to Taipei Blockchain Week uh, or, or event, Seoul, Korea for blockchain events there. Singapore, Hong Kong, went through that whole Asian circuit, kind of got acclimated with the space again. I hadn't been to Asia really properly for about a decade since then, you know. Um, and I was like, dude, this is this is this could work for me. <laughs> so I've been here about three and a half years since. That's awesome. I love the story, and it wasn't the answer I expected. Um, I expect, well, did you, you know, you, I, you, yeah, you might've expected regulatory arbitrage, et cetera. That is uh, yeah, part yeah. of the story. Yeah. Cause you said you made online poker illegal and they, and they also, the SEC recently killed the SPAC market and they're trying to kill the retail crypto market, you know? So I was, you know, how can, how can the U S compete if they try to keep killing innovation and why should founders go overseas? Yeah, that's that is okay. So that did actually play into this, you know, um, with the way that we have set ourselves up. Uh, first of all, we've consulted with many really great lawyers, legal teams. I want to emphasize more than one, right? 
um, and you should talk to get admitted multiple teams. Some lawyers might just say, oh, it's too risky, don't do it. But there's actually really ways to do this. You know, um, as Americans, actually, I'm an American too. Um, our co-founders are all American, actually. So we have to be careful about how we do this. And going offshore is one way. Um, also, not selling tokens to Americans, unfortunately, is is a way to kind of shield yourself. So someday we may do a public sale, right? But at this moment, it does not seem like we're going to be selling to any Americans unless they have ORC entities themselves. So that that is a that, that is too bad, you know, um, for for opportunity um, opportunities um, for Americans to have exposure to some of these networks that could have could possibly someday be worth a lot. Um, you know, it's really too bad that uh, they, they just can't participate. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> uh, um, but I love what I'm doing. So let me ask you this, and 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 this goes along into the transparency. You know, um, what is the danger? Like, one of the concerns is trend is transparency. What is the danger of having a lack of transparency? And then, how does that danger apply to like you know widespread use of privacy coins like? Monero and recently with Mimblewimble, Litecoin and all that. So a lack of transparency, um, just in, you know, I mean, maybe I can just talk about the traditional markets and I can talk about, you know, um, you know, what the difference is. So, you know, in traditional markets, when you have this lack of transparency, when you have, you know, ratings agencies giving AAA ratings to, you know, um, garbage, you know, uh, that was kind of ultimately led to the 2008 uh, crisis or housing crisis. I mean, mortgage crisis. Um, that's a, that's a that kind of systemic risk is a result of this lack of transparency, right? Um, then you have, uh, you know, um, you have actually today the current commodity markets, right? The real commodity markets when we're talking about physical, uh, you know, delivery of like oil and such. There's a lot of lack of transparency there um i'm not sure how to fix that exactly this is a very convoluted ecosystem you know we have uh entities um who are kind of mercenary uh who are you know you know even though us might have sanctions against russian oil for example they are figuring out ways to get russian oils to other countries even though they're americans you know and there's kind of this whole lack of transparency there that's how they can get shielded through this um and there's uh but you know really what i'm kind of most interested in is a lack of transparency in terms of um you know systemic risk right so when you have blockchain where you actually can it's open source you can look at the code at least for the most part um you can actually understand what kind of smart contract you're dealing with and you can see the parameters that they have set and if these are set correctly then you you avoid the ability to have systemic risk in the first place Right. So, I mean, that's the way it should be. And that's the way that you can actually build a very interesting, um, super ultra efficient economy on chain. Um, when it comes to privacy coins, right? And my thoughts on those, um, I think I think they're important. You know, um, I think in a world where they're pushing this narrative of digitalization of money, right? That is actually very, very risky. Uh, you know, if you have a central, if you do it in a centralized manner. Um, it's very dystopian, you know, where a central entity can actually control how you spend your funds, have, they can pry into everyday use, you know, so um, that is a major issue. Uh, I would say, like, uh, because of that, privacy coins and such are, they're important. They're important to, for the preservation of liberty. Um, now, of course, you mentioned uh, Mimble, Wimble, and some of these technologies are experimental, and sometimes the implementation 
doesn't match the actual theory or there's some missing detail and you know as a consequence uh you know the project can have issues um because this technology is difficult right um nonetheless i think um I'm not entirely sure, like, look, if you decentralize this this enough, I'm not entirely sure that you can stop it, <laughs> you know, which is a powerful force. And uh, it's a double-edged sword, though, right? Because now you have also, you know, the group that hacked the Ronin blockchain, the Axie Infinity blockchain. That was a cryptographic, they they they, they stole the, somehow hacked the keys, which is over the validating nodes. They're all able to withdraw like $600 million. Now, this is not a failure of the blockchain itself. There's a leakage of the keys. So it was more of a um, social engineering attack somehow um, where the keys got leaked. And, and to be honest, the way that they handled the keys was a little bit too irresponsible considering the value that they were holding. They should have decentralized that further. Nonetheless, what's happening is apparently that's maybe a North Korean hacker group, very elite group, who is um, now cashing that $600 million out of Tornado Cash, a privacy protocol in Ethereum. So this is kind of a, you know, it's a, one of those things where it's like, it's a double-edged sword on uh, privacy. But uh, by and large, I think net-net uh, is definitely a, a positive. Got it. So I'm trying to think back for when I first heard about your company, and I'll tell you a little story. Um, I was on an institutional call and that I attend like twice, twice a month. And there was a there was a man i'm not going to name names he was from super oracles and the question was like what like what makes your like kind of what makes your company great and i was driving in my car listening and he was saying he said i'll never forget this it's because the wonderful splendor of entropy and i almost slammed into the car in front of me i'm like <laughs> what what <laughs> you know but you mentioned that oracles should be accountable you know, uh, for their actions, you know, and, you know, when you have entropy, when you have everything breaking down, you know, when you have um, VCs who might actually accidentally tank an entire market, you know, um, how are your oracles accountable in during the time of, of entropy? Yeah, so um, there's a little story here. So, you know, as I mentioned, blockchains are these closed loop systems. They're actually very orderly. Like, everyone is on the same page and you can't mess it up if you're following the protocol you have mostly honest majority nodes um so it lacks entropy now we you know we also talk about regulatory arbitrage and how do you do this correctly without getting in trouble etc we happen to have uh some of the better legal minds on the space that advises on this that have done work for like the folks at like coinbase for example and one of the strategies we have in our setup is a Swiss foundation, right? Which is going to be for the ongoing governance of the network over time, right? Now, this Swiss foundation is actually called Entropy Foundation. We named it that for a reason. It's because blockchains lack any entropy. It's too orderly. You need actual oracles to get this external data on chain to kind of like randomness on chain. You need this in order to do so many things from fair elections to you know, GameFi in random selection or lotteries, et cetera, to powering like a poker game, for example, you want provably fair fairness. You need to use oracles mostly to do that um, or, or very clever cryptographic techniques, both of which we use. Now, um, to so that's the story about where the entry comes from. Um, I think I know who you must be talking about, um, but that was a kind of, uh, you know, our foundation is called Entropy Foundation. We have a domain entropy.foundation. It's kind of under development, but uh, we have, 
we are also very much like actually our protocol is completely driven by randomness as at the core randomness is our security the unpredictability of which nodes are going to be uh, coalesced and, and aggregated together to perform which task is our security model because if you don't know who you're going to be working with in advance you can't start to collude early you know so this randomness is our protection so we we and, and randomness and entry in general these are very very esoteric topics i know it's like why why would that be esoteric well it's it's very bizarre actually when you go into the rabbit hole of like provably fair randomness and randomness turns out also and i this is something that you know the one of your first questions was like what does your background logically make sense I actually happen to know the importance of randomness from my other startups, from playing on poker, for computer science, uh, you know, from a from a uh, security perspective. And I was like, I just knew that there was something to this randomness. And that's why my first time when I was pitching John on the back of napkin is basically a network architecture that leverages randomness to the, the kilt in order to secure um, uh, the blockchain and Oracle uh, data on the blockchain. So. Yeah, so to kind of coming back to um, what you're saying, uh, you know, this idea that, okay, so there is such a thing that where VCs maybe are too leveraged and have a way too strong influence on certain networks and they can sway the market because these markets are maybe too immature, too small. Um, and well, I can talk about what we've done to try to prevent that, which is, uh, we have been very careful to limit what any VC could invest in us. So no one has more than, you know, everyone, let's just say that we capped it from every single round. Now, I haven't, we've had groups that say, hey, we want to invest $10 million. We, we minimum, we do 25 million. And we're like, I'm sorry, everyone's doing 500K. Can you live with that? And it's like comically small to them, right? Because they have a mandate to fill out their huge, you know, fund, et cetera, um, and you know, uh, so we cap them, and and we do this to make sure that there is some level of decentralization, so no single party can have too much of a early uh, weight on the network to be able to cause, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, some sort of uh, undue influence like that. So, you know, um, we we are trying to from the beginning we have this mindset. We want to decentralization matters for. Uh, you know, really does come down matter to equitability as well as security. Um, like we do decentralization so that the network is more stable, actually, you know. So that, that's uh, these are kind of our ethos, and we've stuck with that from the very beginning. That makes sense. <laughs> so that's awesome. Thank <laughs> you for explaining. That's great. Um, so uh, the other thing that you are focused on. Um, and this is true to my heart because I've written three books on the topic and have another in the, in the works, is ethics. Um, mm. What should be the role of ethics in decentralized finance protocols? Yeah, so, well, one, okay. This is a touchy topic, but I'm about to say, um, and it's, I'm not entirely sure what the answer is here, okay? Uh, but I'm not a personally a big fan of projects that are not willing to say who they are. Now, I can understand if you're an American and in America and you are worried about doing that. You know, I get that. That's I'm OK with that. But I have seen time and time again, and it will continue to happen because I've, you know, I've been in this industry five years or so. It's too easy to 
launch a project, have some vulnerability into it, be able to just or or have some centralization agent to it. And if you're anonymous, it's too tempting to just say, you know what, I'm too tired. Um, I can't do this anymore. And they just rug it and disappear. There's no social accountability, right? There's no way to go after this person because you don't know who they are, right? So this is way too easy to do that kind of thing. And that's highly unethical, you know? So in terms of uh, ethics, uh, you know, blockchain is not meant to be a casino i mean it is sure and things start off as games like this many many things like that is natural nonetheless excuse me um the the real promise of blockchain is actually to make the world a much more ethical fairer place more equitable place right much more efficient more transparent less cheating all that stuff right uh, and you can get these qualities when uh, you have open source code and you know what you're dealing with uh, so I do believe that it's messy in the beginning, you know, people are making mistakes and human nature takes over. And if, if you, um, you know, uh, if you really care, I think in the space, you know, you will, you'll do it the right way. Meaning, uh, and, and that's the thing, like, there's just, there's a lot of folks that are actually care deeply, you know, we, we care deeply. Yet there's also the crowd that are really hit and run because it's just like too easy to see you later, sucker kind of folks, you know, and it happens, right? And, um, you know, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is that that ethics are important and also um, they need to be kind of codified into to the DeFi protocol, meaning what I'm trying to say here is like, can't, not, not don't be evil, but can't be evil, right? Uh, meaning like, you just can't be evil by the way this is coded like even and if you decentralize properly even though the creator i might be the creator of this thing if i've built it correctly and it's been inspected and people know what they're dealing with i wouldn't even be able to change it and change the rules or or, or steal the money you know uh even if i later change my mind like you want to build it that way where you know even yourself you you remove yourself out of the equation uh from from uh from the moral dilemma of self-interest so you know, and and uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, in terms of ethics. Uh, I do believe that this technology will bring a more equitable world and and a more ethical world. You know, from uh, distribution of wealth to food supply chains to uh, financial inclusion. You know, um, and uh, yeah, so all this other kind of excuse my language, but S H I T, it's here. It'll eventually go, maybe it'll never always go fully, right? Um, but at least the, 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 the end consumer, the, the, those of us that are actually interacting with the blockchain itself will also will be more matured and, 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 and uh, learn from our mistakes. So um, personal responsibility is really important, let's put it that way. And so ethics to do the right thing, but also you've got to balance that with the person that's engaging with, with uh, these things they should also be taking a lot of personal responsibility. They shouldn't be lazy about this. They should take care of the keys. They should be careful about what they're signing, you know, that kind of stuff. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Awesome. So um, I really, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you for taking my questions. It's been an amazing conversation. I, um, yeah, thank you very much. And I have one last question. And this is going to be probably the easiest one of the interview. Um, how can people find out more information about you, about Super Oracles? How can they 
you know, maybe use your, uh, start to use uh, your middleware or your, your oracles? How, how can they find out more? How can they do any of that? Yeah, so, you know, our uh, Twitter is supraoracles.com. Well, actually not the .com, just supra or at supraoracles. Uh, my Twitter is at Joshua Topkin. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can reach out to us on Twitter. It's probably the easiest way. Or you go to our website, supraoracles.com. Um, and we have some really exciting things that in the pipeline that maybe I can't share at this moment because um, we kind of have like a three-month plan. But I would say go to supraoracles.com, get onto our, our contact list or wait list. We have some very interesting engaging announcements coming soon. Really great news, uh, incredible news actually. Um, and if you want to be the first to uh, to hear this, just get on that list because uh, things are going to really sort of heat up in the in the next few weeks and months to come. And this will be a very interesting year. It'll be a kind of a ramp up, you know. But uh, I'll tell you, like we have, we're building uh, slowly but surely something that's really incredible. It goes beyond oracles. It's it's uh, very fascinating, and I, I can't wait to share it with with y'all. But right now, we've been very close to keeping this close to our chest. We have been in stealth, like we haven't even mentioned all the large investors that are backing us and the partnerships we're making. This is all very close to our, our chest at the moment, but uh, I can tell you that we're doing something that goes way beyond the scope of just oracles, and the future of this, this industry is, is going to be very fascinating. So, um, yeah, stay in touch, superoracles.com. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Me too. appreciate it so much. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.